So this morning, we are continuing on in our series on Matthew, and uh, we have Sarah McCauley, yeah, come on up, uh, coming to read. We're in chapter two, and we're going to start, uh, so if you have your Bibles with you, you can crack them open to Matthew chapter two, and we're going to start at verse 13 today and read through the rest of the chapter. So, um, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So when he got up, took the, oh, so he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod, and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life were dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Awesome. Thank you, Sarah. So this is a continuation of Jesus's origin story this morning. Last week, we we dug into to his origin story, his birth, right? It was Christmas a little bit early, and, and really, we're just continuing that in a, in a little bit this morning, but this is a, a piece of the story that um, we don't often get to when we come to the Christmas story. We love the pageants, and it's like, uh, baby Jesus is born, and the angels are singing, and the shepherds are coming, and like, oh, it's, it's like the best thing ever, and then we read we, if, if you were really paying attention and, and, and listening to what actually happened in the passage that we just read, it's like, what just happened? Like, the Messiah is here, and Mary and Joseph, like, that is a hard thing that they walk through. Very, very, very difficult. And so, right from the top, I'm going to say this. Today is going to be actually uh, a little bit of a harder message, and that's okay, because uh, uh, we, don't, uh, we don't pretend that, um, that it was just, ah, all the time, and I know your lives aren't that all the time. And Mary and Joseph walked through some really hard stuff, and we're going to dig into this this morning, and it's actually amazing uh, as we learn more about the origins of Jesus on this earth um, and how he came into the earth. It, it teaches us a lot, a lot of things. And so Matthew, Matthew is doing a lot. Again, I mean, it's just packed. And so I trust that as you read along, um, you are you're maybe digging into this in your devos at home, or I also encourage you, if you're a parent, uh, we are going through, I know the kids are going through this um, it, in Sunday school, and so uh, just have conversations with your kids about what Matthew's up to. I encourage you to do that. It, uh, it, it builds your, your knowledge and your faith, and it builds theirs, and it's just a really good thing. So that's why we're doing that. So um, make sure you, you pour into that a little bit. Um, so I want us to pause for a moment, and I want us to try to imagine. I think it's hard because we're 2,000 years down the road. I want us to try to imagine. Actually, use your imaginations. We can do this. 
Put yourself in Mary and Joseph's shoes this morning, just for a while, okay? So Mary and Joseph, as we looked at last week, they're about to get married, uh, and soon it's going to happen, and they're, no doubt they're excited about it, and all of a sudden Mary's pregnant. And they come from this little town in Nazareth, and, and, um, and the rumor mill is churning, and things are, things are no good. Uh, I mean, it would, be, it would be very difficult, that alone. And so, so Mary, they, they say around like 15, 16 years old, is pregnant um, out of wedlock in this culture where they, that is not an okay thing. And they find themselves there, and, um, and it takes a dream, for as we looked at last week, for Joseph to, to, I mean, awesome, good on you, Joseph, to, to marry Mary anyways, and to go down this path because this is, this is the Messiah, this little baby that is growing inside this girl is the Messiah. And so they put their trust in that. And then uh, they're living in Israel under Roman rule. Roman, the Romans have been uh, ruling Israel for about 50 years at this point, and it's a pretty uh, awful situation. And, uh, and so Caesar decides that he's going to raise taxes again. And so they're taxing the people hard, and Caesar decides that he's going to raise taxes again. And and so Joseph has to go back for the census. He has to go back to the town of his, of his ancestors, and that's David, who we learned about, right? And so he goes to Bethlehem. So Mary is about ready to burst. And, and, and I mean, I've, I've witnessed, only witnessed, I say this very sensitively because I know I'm going to get a lot of sneers from women in the crowd. Um, I've witnessed from a distance and have no idea what it feels like, okay? But uh, my wife has been pregnant six times, so I've witnessed it. Um, and Mary is about to burst, and she makes an 80-mile journey because of this Caesar guy down to Bethlehem. I mean, we did, we did a trip to BC when Leah was like eight and a half months pregnant, and that was pretty difficult enough already. And, and, and I mean, this is... This is Craziness. This is crazy what they have to go through. So this young woman, this young married couple, arrive in, in Bethlehem, and they have this baby in not ideal circumstances. They're far away from family, from their support system. Continue to use your imagination and picture yourself in their shoes. These are real people in real time going through real situations. And so... They, they land in Bethlehem. They have this baby. And, and at the time, there was this king. It was kind of like a puppet king. He was a kind of a puppet of Rome, really. He's a king over Israel at the time. His name is Herod. And he's a very insecure king. He's an, he's an evil guy. He's an evil dude. He's a bad guy. And, um, and then we have this strange story. We skipped it this morning, but we have this strange story of there's these astrologers from the east, and they're like somehow looking at their star maps and figuring out all these. We don't even really know exactly what happened. They're, they're the magi, and, and they figure out that there's this king that's being born, and they're following this star. I mean, we just kind of take that because we're so familiar with the story, but that's crazy. Like, that's, that's nuts. Um, and so these guys come, and they follow the star, and they end up in Jerusalem, and they create a bit of a stir. Uh, this wasn't just three guys. This was like a caravan of people. This is not like three guys with like the little boxes, but this is a caravan of people, and, and in that culture where gift-giving was extravagant, there's a wealthy, the wise men, right? 
from the east. And so they came, and they, they're looking for this king. And so they, they do what, I mean, not wise, not wise men at all. They go to Herod, the king. They're like, hey, we came to, we came because we, heard, we, we know that we've been following the star. There's a king, and we came to worship him, and we have all, this, all these riches that we want to give to him. Can you point us in the right direction? Like, are you kidding me? That's a terrible, terrible idea. That's, that's like, you go to the prime minister's office, you walk in, and you're like, hey, Justin, I was looking for the real prime minister because I got a couple mil that I'd just like to drop, drop in his bank account. And uh, I mean, I don't really, don't really know where he is right now, but can, like, that wouldn't go well, right? Never mind Herod, who is like an insane, insanely evil king. Like, it's just, anyways, wise men, we need, we need to rethink that. Um, so not so wise. I mean, yikes. Um, but they give, they, they do end up finding uh, Mary and Joseph and Jesus, and they give them these gifts, and, and it's a good thing because this young couple is going to need it because of where they were going to have to travel and where they were going to have to go. Um, and then Joseph gets this visit from an angel, which is where we started our text today. It says, now when they had departed, they being the Magi, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. So he already made this big trip to Bethlehem at full-term pregnancy. And now you have this baby in a less-than-ideal circumstance. And then thanks to these wise men, Herod has a price on your little baby's head. And so you flee for your life in the middle of the night through the desert to Egypt. This young parents with this new baby, and they're traveling through the night through the desert. It's, it's terrible. Like, what is happening? It's crazy. And so Herod, this, this nasty man, he orders the killing of all the baby boys two years old and younger in Bethlehem. And no doubt Mary and Joseph, they would have heard of this. I mean, the angel warned them, but they would have heard of this. And I mean, you would have been terrified. You would have been sick. And that, the intent of what happened there was that they were coming after your baby. They were coming after your baby. Keep using your imaginations here. So finally, finally Herod dies, and they've been hanging out in Egypt. Most folks say for a couple of years, just a couple of years. So Herod dies, and Joseph and Mary get to head back for Israel. And they're headed back to Israel thinking that all is well. And it says that they were headed back to Judea. Most likely they were headed back to Bethlehem. It was the city of David. Um, thoughts were probably like, there's a Messiah. He should probably be in the city of David. But they're on their way back, and somehow they get word that Archelaus, Herod's kid, is reigning. And they're like, uh-oh, this, this is not a good, good situation. So instead of ending up in Judea, they take a detour. And they go the 80 miles back up north, and they head for Nazareth the same little hick town that they came from where the rumor mill would still be churning. Can you imagine being Joseph and Mary showing up back in that town with this toddler that like the people would see you coming back 
and be like, oh yeah, Joseph and Mary, the, like the miraculous conception family over here, like you would have been um, shamed in that culture. And so this is Mary and Joseph's journey, this first few years of Jesus's life. And so bummer, right? It's a bummer. It's like, it's not a fun story for us today. I mean, I mean, what's going on? Last week, we ended with God with us, Emmanuel, right? The, the Christmas, like, oh, God with us, Emmanuel, right? Everything's going to be better. But if you picture yourself in Mary's shoes, you have this wonderful little baby. You have this wonderful promise that this baby is going to be the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the, this, this hope of the world. And then you go through all of this. You go through all of this, God with us, Emmanuel. God with us, Emmanuel. And so it makes me think right away, if God is with us, Emmanuel, what on earth just happened? Because that's what we're prone to think. Where is God? Where is God in the midst of suffering? Where is God when life goes sideways? Because wasn't Jesus supposed to come and be the Messiah? Wasn't the Messiah supposed to come and make everything good and fix everything? Was he? The answer, not like you think. Not like you think. Many of us actually um, come to Christianity. Many people believe that you come to Jesus and he's going to fix everything. It's often sold that way, actually. Your life is going to be great. You're going to go through all of, like Jesus is going to make your wildest dreams come true. It's going to be the best thing ever. The problem is not like you think. He doesn't come and make all your wildest dreams come true. It certainly didn't happen that way for Mary and Joseph. And it certainly didn't happen that way for Jesus himself. He walked through this as a young kid. It's traumatic experiences. Where on earth is God when things go sideways? I'd love to know what Mary and Joseph were thinking as they were fleeing for their life in the middle of the night through the desert. Like, what, what would those prayers have sounded like? like? Like, God, are you even there? But this baby they were carrying was actually God with us. It was actually God with us. Jesus and his family, they were deeply and personally affected by the brokenness of humanity. Last week, remember, we looked at Jesus as the new Adam. He is establishing a new humanity. And, but Jesus didn't come and not experience the brokenness. I love that about him. He came and stepped full into the human experience, and he walked it, and he saw it, and he felt it firsthand. And I believe that Matthew, he's brilliantly weaving this part of this story and Jesus's origins to show us, to show us a, a few big ideas. Um, it's a continuation of the fact that Jesus is the new Adam establishing a new humanity because it shows full force how corrupt and broken our humanity is, right? You see that? You see through this story? But it also shows us that despite prideful human beings going against the will of God, sinning, and wreaking all sorts of disaster and just nastiness and hurting each other, it, Despite all of that, 
God is still ever so powerful and all-knowing and good and mighty, and that somehow that boggles my mind without violating our free will, which is what gets us into nastiness in the first place, without violating all of that, he still somehow works his eternal purposes out in the end. Because you'll notice there was three phases to this section that we read today. First, the flight to Egypt. Second, Herod killing the children. And third, their return to Nazareth. And all three, it links back to prophetic passages from the Old Testament. And so, did God ordain that these babies would be killed? No, it's broken, evil humanity. But he knew. Now I know, this takes some, some wrestling. Do you think that do you think that God is powerful enough to take what we give him in our messed upness? Do you think that he's big enough to work his purposes out of it? Do you think he is? I think he is. I think he is. His ways are not ours, and, and his thoughts are not ours, but he is sovereign, and he is God, and he is working. So Matthew shows us this truth in the way that he ties three different events in the Old Testament into this horrible suffering that Jesus walked through, yet it was to identify with humanity. This whole story actually shows how Jesus' life reflected the storyline of Israel, which in a larger scale represents the brokenness of our humanity. And in order to get this concept and what, what the depth of what Matthew is actually doing here, uh, we need to see um, the we need to do a little bit of Bible work. So you ready for that this morning? You ready for a little bit? Okay. I'd rather wrestle through the complex stuff of the Bible because the Bible can be complex, and that's good. I don't want to, like, oh, last week, what did, word did I use? Cutify. I don't want to cutify the Bible. I don't, it's not a cutesy, cutesy little story. It's profound, and it's powerful, and it is so wonderfully, wonderfully put together because God put it together. And so we get to do the work this morning, and we get to dig into this. So there's three phases to this family's life. It's in Matthew chapter 2 is where we are. And uh, first is the flight to Egypt. Then there is uh, Herod killing the children and the return to Nazareth. And so all of these end with, this, with a prophecy from the Old Testament scripture. Um, but one thing to note about Old Testament prophecy when it's used in the New Testament, okay? So we need to understand how the Bible writers use these things. Because most of us will read, like it says in Matthew 2.15, it says, This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. That's when they fled to Egypt. And so right away, you, if we think, I mean, I was guilty of this for a long time. The thought goes to, oh, cool. You look at your footnote, Let's just say, oh, Hosea, Hosea 11, that's pretty cool. So Hosea, a few hundred years earlier, predicted that Jesus would go to Egypt. But that's actually not actually what happened, because some of you who are like a little bit more adventurous will actually flip to Hosea chapter 11, and you will read, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the bales and burning offerings to idols. And so right away, you're like, huh? How does this fit with like what Jesus 
is up to. And so something we need to understand when, when Matthew and when other writers in the New Testament reference the Old Testament scriptures, we actually need to do the work and go read those Old Testament scriptures to understand what he's doing with it. Um, because there are prophecies that speak specifically to predictions, especially surrounding Jesus' crucifixion, but there are also Old Testament references from the prophets that are meant to share an idea or a thought, and they have double or triple meanings as well. So Hosea here, he is speaking to Israel, reminding them of what story out of Egypt I called my son. It's the Exodus story. It's the story of Exodus led by who? Moses, right. So Hosea is talking about that story. But Matthew brings it in and brings it in for Mary and Joseph going to Egypt. And it's like, um, if, if he was a modern-day pastor, uh, a bunch of people would have been like, Matthew, that's out of context. Come on, man. You, like, grab that out of, no, out of nowhere. But, hey, I believe this more than this. So uh, we get to go with that. Um, Hosea is speaking the Exodus story led by Moses, and he's reminding Israel of their Exodus story that God would redeem them from the tortures and the suffering that they were going through at that time, which is exactly where Mary and Joseph found themselves. So what's going on? He's linking this larger idea to Jesus' story through this passage. Though God's people were oppressed, God intervened and, and rescued them. And now Jesus' own experience was experiencing this oppression and fleeing. Uh, we, know, we know the end story, that it ultimately leads to redemption. And then we have this terrible story right after of Herod uh, killing these children. Is there any other story in the Bible where it has an insecure king killing children? Yeah, it's Pharaoh and Moses, right? It's Pharaoh and Moses. So it's taking, Matthew is taking you back to that story. And Jesus actually enters into that story and is a part of that story, representing the brokenness of humanity and God's redemptive plan. You following? Good? Yes. It's actually, it's, a, it's amazing. And so can, can God then, out of the evil and, and the, the nasty decisions that we as humans make, can he somehow work his plan out of that? Can he do it? Yes. Yes, he can. He works with what we give him and uses it to bring our redemption. That's crazy. That's good news. Amen? That's good news. That's good news. And then we see the second prophecy that Matthew brings up. And it says, then was fulfilled. This is after Herod uh, kills children. It says, this was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children because... She refused to be comforted because they are no more. And so we see now you've already had Hosea 11, and you kind of figured that one out. So now you're, now you're like, well, that was pretty cool. So then you look at your footnote, and, and you're like, okay, Jeremiah 31. That's what he's quoting here, Jeremiah 31. And then, and then you flip to Jeremiah 31, and you see that Jeremiah is completely out of context as well, uh, but not because it's the Bible. We just need to learn how to read it right. And so we see in Jeremiah 31, this, this piece, a voice was heard in Ramah. And Jeremiah was living at a, another tragic time in Israel's history. And Jeremiah was living during the time of the exile, when Israel was now being conquered and taken, being taken over by Babylon. And Ramah is the place where they'd taken the Israelites, and they bound them, 
and they ripped families apart and they bound the Israelites up and they were taking them to Babylon. And that is where Ramah is. So Jeremiah in his present was saying, I heard a voice in Ramah where all this horrible stuff was happening. And then he, he uses this picture of Rachel. Rachel is, is a matriarch of Israel. Rachel is a matriarch of Israel. And, it, and it's this picture of Rachel who, who was long gone from, from centuries past. Now she is weeping for her children, Israel. From, it's this idea of from the grave. It's a poem. It's poetic. It's artistic that she is weeping from the grave over, over the devastation and the loss that is happening in Israel at that time, at Jeremiah's time. But then Matthew picks this up. And Matthew picks this up, I believe, for a, for a very, very profound, profound reason. And, and I believe he's, he's using the same picture that Jeremiah was using of Rachel weeping over her children to show us how much God actually weeps and cares for his children. I believe that's the heart of God. He weeps over brokenness. He weeps over the evil that we do to each other. It's not his plan. It hurts him that you're hurting. So we have this God who is deeply, deeply touched. So where is God? Where is God when, when there is suffering? Well, we, we've already established that that he is somehow working out his purposes through it, even though we give him a mess. And we also see that he cares, he cares deeply. He's not absent and just saying, you guys, you messed this up so bad. Serves you right. No, he, he is heartbroken. He is heartbroken over the suffering and the injustices that happen in the world. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful because... We come to Jesus as our Savior, and we know there is a hope coming. Amen? Okay, do not forget that this morning. We know there is a hope coming. But we have a God who walks with us and cares deeply enough. And Jesus experienced it himself. And it breaks his heart. He's grieved by evil in the world. He is not absent. He's devastated by the... This is never his plan. This is never his plan. This is crucial for us. Crucial for us to understand because there's, there's things in the, in the room, in the homes as you're watching that I don't know that you're walking through. And maybe you're not right now, but, but you walk through suffering in this life. And are you going to then say, well, Jesus didn't make it all go away? Or are you going to trust the God who says, I know this sucks. That's not how I planned it, but there's a hope coming. There's a hope coming. He weeps with you. And then I, I believe as Christians, it's our job then to to have that same heart we sang today, break our heart for what breaks yours, that we would walk alongside people in their suffering and that we would weep with them and extend a hand and just be with them. And we can't always change it. Sometimes God answers prayers and takes us out of those situations. Absolutely. I've seen people healed. I've seen situations change. But sometimes, sometimes we... We just know that we just need to know that God is weeping and he, he is there with you. And that's, that's, I love that about Jesus, that he didn't come and not experience that. He came and walked right through it. And then we have the third piece. 
And Joseph and Mary are on their way back, and they take this detour, and they end up in Nazareth. And so they end up in Nazareth. It says this in verse 23. He went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. And so you get to this prophecy, and you're like, oh, okay, well, I did Hosea, and I did Jeremiah. Let's figure this one out. So you look at your footnote, and you're like, oh, there's no footnote. So you do a, a, a good Google search. And when in the Old Testament did it say that Jesus would be called a Nazarene? And, and you get like zero hits because it, it just doesn't come up. It's not there. So now you're like, okay, Matthew, two out of context, and now you're just making stuff up. So like it's not going good so far for Matthew. But actually... It is. And we get to, like, extra-level Bible nerdery this morning. So you can, like, come along. I, 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 am, I learned this from Tim Mackey um, from the Bible Project. I, I really appreciate his Old Testament understanding. Um, so you ready? Ready? Okay. So there's a well-known passage in Isaiah about the coming Messiah. And that's important. It has to, like, this passage is about the Messiah. And, it, and this Messiah from the line of David. And it's Isaiah 11, chapter 1. It says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And so it's this image, Isaiah is using this image of the kingdom of David is going to be cut off. If the kingdom of David is a tree, because it was flourishing, remember David's kingdom was flourishing and under Solomon, it was amazing. But, but at this point, this, this tree has been cut off and it's like a stump. This kingdom, this line that Jesus came from, remember, is like this stump. This is the imagery that Isaiah is using here. And from the middle of this stump comes this, this shoot. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this on your yard. I had a very pesky tree when we lived over on Melrose that did this, and it was just a pain, like these shoots coming up all over the place. But so it just helps you picture what Isaiah is picturing. This, there's this stump, and this shoot comes up. A branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And it's speaking of this Messiah, that the story's not done yet. Even though the kingdom, remember, the kingdom has been taken out from David, one day this king would rise up, this shoot would rise up, and that's Jesus, that's the Messiah. So it's this picture, and it's this clever, there's this clever way that Matthew works this, he uses wordplay. It's amazing. So uh, Jesus was from Nazareth, right? He was from Nazareth. In the Hebrew, it's Nazareth, or it's just the name of the town, Nazareth. But what Matthew is doing is, is brilliant. Um, this word branch for the Messiah is actually the word Nazar. And so so Nazareth literally means stick town. That's what it means. And, and so, do you, yeah, you see what's happening, right? Absolutely. So this branch, this stick from stick town is going to be raised up. It's brilliant. It's amazing. So Jesus, Jesus is from the sticks. Jesus is, and it literally was the sticks. That's, Matt, like, that's not my cleverness. That's Matthew. Like, it's brilliant. It's amazing. Jesus is from the sticks. And this, it, the, the, it's fun, and I like that imagery, but this imagery is picked up in other prophets. This, this picture of Jesus being the branch or the root or the shoot uh, is picked up all over the prophets. And so there's a very popular, popular way to describe this coming Messiah was this branch or this stick. 
and and Jesus is Stickman from Sticktown. It's amazing. Um, but what he's doing is profound because what this what the readers would have thought of is a very very famous prophecy about the Messiah that is using this exact same imagery. It's using this imagery of the stick or this branch. And so for that, you need to go to Isaiah 53. And we read Isaiah 53, and it's verses 2 to 5. It says this of the Messiah. It says, For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. This is the same imagery, and this is where people's minds would have been going, right, about the Messiah. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Sounds exactly like what we've just been reading about. It's amazing. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. This is our Jesus. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced, speaking of the cross, for our transgressions, our sin. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement or punishment that brought us peace. He brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. We have a suffering servant king. And I love him for that. Amen? I love him for that. Jesus, God in the flesh, the savior of the world, stepped in, experienced, and restored a broken humanity. And we know that God is working all things for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. We know that in the midst of suffering. And we know that we have a God who weeps, and we know that we have Jesus who absolutely gets it and understands. And that's amazing. That's where God is in our suffering. That's where he is. And we get to come to him freely. And we get to talk with him and he comforts us. And he walks with us. And he's working things according to his purposes. And we get to take that in faith. We get to take that in faith this morning. That Jesus is sympathizing and suffering with you. But we also remember that one day, there's a day coming when there will be no more suffering and no more pain and no more tears. And we look forward to that day. Amen. We look forward to that day. And in the meantime, we know we walk with a Savior who gets it and who cares deeply. Isn't that good? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much. Wow, thank you doesn't even begin to explain it. The God who can speak this into existence would write himself into a broken humanity. It's crazy. There is none like you. You have no rival or equal. You are an amazing God. And you have the power to actually bear our griefs and our sorrows and our suffering on yourself, the things that we absolutely deserve. And you overcame it by the cross, by the empty grave, 
And that is the hope and that is the faith that we will hang on to. And we thank you that you are so tender to walk with us in the present. Lord, may we always, always run to you and know that we have a suffering servant king who sympathizes and loves. And would we always, always hold fast to our Jesus. Would we never be offended at suffering that happens in this world, but trust in faith that you are working it for the good of those who love you. And Jesus, we love you. We love you. Would you go with us this day? Fill us with your Holy Spirit. God, would we see you in the day-to-day? We love you. We praise you. All God's people agreed and said, Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for coming today. God bless you as you go. If you would like prayer for anything at all, I would absolutely love to pray for you. I have a mask. I will mask up and do that. And um, just a one announcement that I wanted to bring up today. Uh, Christmas boxes are in the foyer for you to grab, or if you're watching on the screen, we will gladly deliver them to you. Um, grab some shoe boxes, fill them up, bring them back by November 15th, and we'd love to continue to be a blessing to that ministry as they do that. Thanks so much for coming, guys. Bless you.